Well, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time of the day it is you're listening to this program. Welcome to Philadelphia Eagles Talk with Jeff. And folks, we are now less than a week away from the Eagles' first preseason game against the Baltimore Ravens. So exciting times there as we uh, get ready for uh, the version, on the field version, with some actual tackling and hitting uh, for our Philadelphia Eagles for the 2023 season. Um, today, as I record this podcast, was the Eagles fan carnival and got some things to talk about uh, with respect to that. Give you my thoughts and opinion on uh, the fan carnival. And before I get into anything else, really wanted to uh, let you know that you, of course, can communicate with the program by simply emailing the show at P-E-T-W-G-P at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts, any comments, say hello, any questions, all of that. That's how you would do it. P-E-T-W-G-P at gmail.com is your means of which to do that connect with the uh, program directly so uh make sure you take advantage of that all right so lots of things uh, uh to talk about here as we uh get a little bit closer to the uh you know season opener not too far away it's really about a month away you know so it'll be here before we know it you know how time flies when you're having fun as they say but a lot of things have developed since the last podcast um, so we're going to certainly talk about those. I'm trying to figure out where to start. Well, let me let me start by this because I know my last, my last podcast. I just want to make sure that I'm not being misunderstood, and I may not be. People may um, people may not have any issue with what I said, and I, you know I was talking about the new Kelly Green uh, uniforms and jerseys and the mad craze that uh, happened when they first were. Uh, available to the public, and there were thousands of people lining up to go get their Kelly Green jerseys. Look, I don't have anything against the Kelly Green jerseys. I don't have anything against people who went out and got a Kelly Green jersey. Really don't. I'm not trying to offend anybody. And I said, I'm not even, I don't even know if I did offend anybody. Um, but I have a feeling that, it, it, you know, it, it potentially could have been taken the wrong way. And if it was, then I just wanted to say that. My the whole reason why I was talking about the Kelly Green jersey craze is because I just feel that those jerseys, for the most part, have been available all along. Um, again, with the only exception of the current players, the jerseys do look beautiful. I mean, I've always been a fan of the Kelly Green jerseys. Um, I just thought it was a little bit overboard for there to be to that many people lining up to get jerseys I, you know it's just my opinion and i got a podcast and i gave it i just thought it was a little bit ludicrous for this type of a craze just order it online or get it a couple of days later but you know i'm very consistent on this not that i have a podcast that talks about other events of the world but i i've always had the that opinion for any of the Black Fridays or any of these, you know, when Apple releases their iPhones and you got people lining up in the middle of the night, tent, you know, out in tents waiting for it. 
And to me, it's just ridiculous. But that's just me. To others, if you wait in the line and you got your jerseys, I'm very happy for you. I truly, honestly am. Um, so just wanted to kind of clear that up. I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, be misinterpreted uh, in what I was talking about in my last podcast. All right, with that being said, I'm going to wait to get my Kelly Green jersey. I'll get one eventually. I've got, like, Reggie White. Um, uh, you know, I think I got a Cunningham as well. Um, I can't remember if I got a Cunningham, actually. If I have, I haven't worn it in a long time. But, uh, um, you know, I think uh, I'm trying to figure out, really, my quandary right now is, like, which Kelly Green jersey to get of the current team. I probably, if Miles Sanders had stayed an eagle, probably would have got him. I typically get running backs. I know. I just kind of always like to get the running back jerseys. Of course, quarterback as well. So maybe it will be Jalen Hurts at some point. Um, I do like Devontae Smith. Uh, and obviously A.J. Brown. I, I, I think I'll get a defensive player next time. But there's really not a defensive player. I mean, it would be Brandon Graham, but he's not going to be here much longer. Um, he's not going to be playing much longer. Not that he's not going to be here much longer. He's obviously towards the end of his career. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to wait on that a little bit. All right, folks. So listen. Uh, so what has happened here since the last podcast a few days ago? Um I guess we'll start with the most recent news, and then we'll go with some discussion topics that I had. The most recent news happened today. Uh, with the Eagles, I first saw the news that, uh, and I was following this basically live. I just happened to be online when this news was, like, breaking. And the first thing that the Eagles put out was that Davion Taylor was released. And I really thought that was very odd. I mean, why would you release a linebacker, you know, especially the position that the Eagles are extremely thin on right now. Thin at, I should say. Why would you release him now? They haven't even played a preseason game yet. It didn't make any sense to me whatsoever until a few moments later, really about two or three minutes later, when the next news released came out that the Eagles have signed two linebackers to one-year deals. Namely, Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. Now, I know of both of these guys. I probably know a little bit more about uh, Miles Jack than I do Cunningham, but I, I definitely uh, know of both of these players. Um, Miles Jack is probably the name that you may have heard more of because uh, he's been kind of rumored even this offseason for the Eagles to maybe uh, take a run at, being that they were so thin at linebacker. Well, Howie today, um, you know, signed them both to one-year deals. Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. And what's interesting is I was doing a little research on him. I mean, I know Miles Jack played a uh, majority of his career with Jacksonville. And then last year he was with the Steelers. And Cunningham has kind of been, you know, he's been with Houston uh, mainly, and then he played last year with the Titans. So these guys have the most similar uh, statistics, uh, history. Um, it's really scary. Like, these, this is almost like, Two players that are complete carbon copies of each other. I'm not kidding. Let's just look at Miles' career stats, okay? He has got, um, and for tackles, okay, in his career, he's got 617 combined tackles. You know what Zach Cunningham has? 620. Miles 
has two uh, in his career 396 solo tackles. 396. Zach Cunningham has got 392. I mean, could you get any closer statistically? Let's go to other type of things too, like forced fumbles, right? Forced fumbles. Miles Jack has. Uh, okay, maybe this is the biggest differential. There was another stat that was close. Oh, sacks. Sorry, sacks. So sacks. Both of them have six and a half career sacks. I mean, you can't make this up. They both have the exact same amount of sacks. And then forced fumbles, Zach Cunningham does at five compared to two with Miles. Uh, I, I really wasn't going to mention that stat, but since I started to, Miles will finish it off. So, so Miles Jack has got two. But otherwise, could you get any two closer players? I couldn't believe. I was stunned when I was looking at their career stats. And then uh, the other thing that they have in common is they're both now going to be on their third team, the Eagles. And they both spent all of their career with the team that drafted them, except for last year, both of them. Houston with uh, Cunningham and uh, Jacksonville with Miles Jack. They, they spent uh, their entire careers with both the organizations, except for just last season when they played for a different team. And now they're both Eagles. It's amazing how similar these two guys are. Now, um, they're going to be the same age in a few months because, or about a month, uh, because Miles Jack is 27, but he's about to turn. Uh, he will be turning 28 next month, and Zach Cunningham is 28. So they're basically the same age as well. And they were both drafted in the second round of their respective drafts. So it's it's amazing uh, how similar these players are. Um, and now they're both Eagles. And you got to applaud this move by Howie. You just have to. As much as I was really rooting for Davion Taylor, I've mentioned him many times over the course of uh, – last couple of years on this podcast that I've always been kind of in his corner and hoping to get a chance, but he was just, let's face it, you know, he was kind of a project. The Eagles did reach and draft him too early. Now you can confirm it because he's been cut. Um, you know, when he did play, he definitely made, you know, he made, he looked good. I got, when I did see him on the field, he actually looked really good and he showed me some promise, but let's face it. He was always, hurt and never was able to distinguish himself um, even on a, in a position where the Eagles have been very thin at. So um, I wish Damian Taylor well. I hope he catches out on another team. Um, I think he's a good kid and uh, you know I uh, as long as he doesn't you know end up on the Cowboys Giants or commanders, um, I wish him well. So, uh, but welcome, Miles Jack. Welcome, Zach Cunningham, to the fold. I think this is a move that Howie needed to make. I, I figured he was going to make a move. I didn't think he'd bring two linebackers in, but makes sense. When you really think about it, especially you're going to get two guys that have got experience uh, with several, several years in the league. Um, both have been, I wouldn't say standout players. None of them really had, you know, have had great careers. They're, they're just good experienced linebackers, and that's what the Eagles really need right now. I mean, uh, to Zach Cunningham, he might be the better of the two. And I only say that because it was one year we actually led the NFL in tackles, um, and that was in 2020 season, so it was just a few years ago. So, um, 
So that's that's very interesting, you know. So he's uh, he's played one less year than Miles Jack has. But uh, again, when you look at the career statistics, man, they are just. I mean, again, one of one of them played an extra year, so uh, I think Zach Cunningham might be the better player of the two, just statistically. But um, but either way, especially with the recent injury to the Kobe Dean, which is not serious, but. You know, when an injury happens to the guy that's basically supposed to be your best linebacker, and, and really he's completely untested, it's really unknown whether or not he's going to be, uh, you know, a decent player or not. But I just had some bug or something fly into the my studio here. It's got a gigantic freaking bug. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the heck that was. A uh, little bit of a distraction here. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Look, it was a great move by Howie to bring these guys in here, get some depth, much-needed depth to the roster, and uh, and now make the best players uh, get their starting roles. So uh, we'll see how that all pans out. All right, folks, coming back live here. You guys don't know that I just took like a, a few-minute break here, but I, I had to. I had to stop the program here and uh, get rid of this gigantic – I don't even know. Some huge beetle that flew into the studio. Um, I've never seen a freaking insect this large. But uh, anyway, it's all been taken care of. And now let's get on to the matter at hand. All right. So um, we talked about uh, the Kelly Greens. We talked about uh, the new acquisitions today. Um, and next thing I want to talk about is, uh, is Riddick. And, you know, Hassan Riddick, here's my, here's my take. And if, before I get into it, let me give you a little background on why I'm going to discuss this a little bit. So Riddick, as we know, signed a three-year deal with the Eagles last year. And um, I think he's making like 14 or $15 million a season, something like that. Maybe it's 16 whatever the case. Um, some of the other top um, pass rushers in the league have signed recently, you know, 21 or $20 million contracts, you know, over the $20 million mark. Now, so there's a lot of media, especially to me, that made this mountain of a molehill because I really don't know if, if Hassan Riddick was going to make a big deal about this at all or have a problem with it until the media, the lovely media of this country, had to, you know, because they got nothing better to do than to stir up controversy. So they were asking Hassan Riddick at every opportunity they got once camp opened, hey, do you feel you're underpaid? Hey, what do you think about, you know, so-and-so's contract? You know, do you feel that you're underpaid? And I think Riddick initially just kind of didn't really say much. Didn't acknowledge that he was, you know, had a feeling one way or the other. But now in recent days, because we've been peppered with some of these questions, we're finding out that Riddick is not really happy with his current deal. And that he, you know, he does feel like he's underpaid. Now, here's my issue with this. Is Riddick, based on his performance last year, underpaid compared to some of these other guys that have signed contracts? Yes. Yes, but here's the deal with contracts, and this is, I'm consistent about this with any contract. It doesn't even matter if it's sport or nothing. 
All right. He signed the contract. Period. When you sign a contract, you sign a contract. And here's my deal. Let's look at the other side of the store of the coin, right? What if Hassan Riddick last year had two sacks in the entire season and completely underperformed that contract? Would the Eagles be going back to Hassan Riddick saying, hey, you know what? We gave you a $16 million contract, but you only had two sacks last year, so we're only going to pay you $7 million this year. Would the Eagles do that? No. Can the Eagles do that? Yes. Has it ever happened? No. So here's my point, if you haven't picked up on it. If teams don't go back to the players, and regardless of sport, and say, hey, you need to give us back seven or eight million more dollars because you didn't live up to your you know expectations last season. We gave you sixteen million, you got two sacks. We're just using Reddick as an example. And uh, for that, you know, we're gonna ask for eight million dollars of contract back. That doesn't happen. Why? Because the Eagles signed them to a contract. They gotta bite the bullet regardless of the player's performance. So why, if it's on the other, if it's the other way around, do players feel that they're entitled because they had a great season and, quote, overperformed their contract? Do they feel that they can go and say, you know what, you guys need to pay me more? Even though last year we just signed the contract, now, now you've got to pay me more. That's BS, in my opinion. B.S. And it's B.S. for the reasons I just said. Now, if teams were able to go back to players and say, hey, you underperformed, give me back half of your salary for this season. Okay, I wouldn't have an issue with, with Reddick now saying he overpaid his, overpaid his contract. Um or he's underpaid in his current contract, and he deserves more, you know? But contract, what's the purpose of having a contract if you could just reopen it if you had a great season? It's just, it is what it is, Hassan. You play on your deal. And I'm not giving him, he's not making a big stake. He's not holding out. I'm not trying to be hard on him. I'm just using this as an example overall. Because Hassan is going to play. He's not saying he's going to hold out or anything like that. He's really not complaining at all. And again, I think this has all been, you know, I think the smoke was started and created by the media. So they're part of the problem here in this equation. You know, would the media be saying, hey, Hassan only had two sacks last year? Hey, uh, Eagles should, you know, should ask him to get his money, get their money back? No, they may criticize the deal saying, oh, they're overpaid for him and all this kind of stuff. But they never go back to the, you know, and create this story that, hey, do you feel blah, blah, blah. So it's a contract. Contracts are contracts. If the Eagles decide to, which they probably will do, I mean, if Riddick has another good season, it wouldn't surprise anybody, I don't think, if the Eagles extended him and paid him up, you know, $20 million plus. I think the Eagles would do that. And Hassan probably knows that, you know. So that's why he's not making a big deal out of it. The media has got to start probing and, you know, rattling cages. So that's my deal with that. Um, let's hope Reddick has another 15 to 20 sack season. 
and the Eagles do open, you know, extend them for, you know, a 20 million plus a year contract going forward. That's fine. But right now, he signed his deal. Nobody forced him to sign with the Eagles. Nobody forced him to take 15 or 16 million, whatever he's making. He had a great season, no doubt about it. But the Eagles are not going to reopen his contract right now. He's had just one good year and offer him a $22 million a year contract. What happens if he comes out this year and struggles and he has four sacks? Again, is he going to give the money back to the Eagles? No, it's never going to happen. So why the media almost make it like the Eagles are obligated to give him more money or create this story that he's underpaid? I don't know. I don't have any sympathy for one way or the other in issues like that. You sign a contract, that's your contract. You know, if the team feels that they want to give you more, then that's up to the team. Let's not create some big story about it. And let's not, you know, rattle cages and get the player potentially upset who was never upset to begin with. Or feeling unappreciated or whatever. I got a lot of issues with media, but that's for a different day and a different program. All right, next thing I want to talk about is Mariota. Now, I don't know how much I've really talked about Mariota, but I'm not a big fan of his. Not a fan. I didn't like that they brought him in. I understand the reasons why they brought him in, because he's a experienced quarterback, you know, and he somewhat has the same kind of game as Jalen Hurts. You know, he's a mobile quarterback. So, you know, it makes sense where you wouldn't have to change up their offense much if, you know, you had to come in for Jalen or start a game or two or whatever. I get all that. But I've never, ever, ever been impressed with Marcus Mariota. Me personally. Just my view. Just from the sidelines. Just from being a fan watching, you know, Titans games or whatever in the past. Just never been impressed by him. Wasn't really even impressed by him in college. When the Eagles were rumored to maybe draft him when Chip Kelly was here as their coach. Never was a big Mariota guy. Still am not. And so far, he's been struggling mightily in camp, uh, according to reports. So for me, it's not surprising. I'm not surprised. But I never liked the move. Now, they're stuck with him. They brought him in here. And, you know, hopefully, obviously, he's never needed, number one. Uh, but if he is, I hope he's playing going to play in, in the game much better than he does in practice. Because, again, on pretty much all reports coming out of camp so far, he has struggled. He's thrown interceptions. He's not looked good. He's not been accurate. All kinds of, all kinds of issues. Um, not here to kick dirt on him. I mean, obviously he's an eagle, and I'm, I'm going to root for him regardless. But I was just, I just want to let you know, I was on record from the beginning of not liking that acquisition. I think they could have brought in other quarterbacks or kept Minshew here. Now I know Minshew would have been more costly, but. If it was up to me between Minshew and Mariota, I'm taking Minshew every day as a backup. But that's just me. Hopefully he improves and it's not a problem, but he's not off to a great start here. Uh, he can't. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Kenneth Gainwell. Now, I can't say that I've never not been a fan of Gainwell. I've always liked Gainwell. It's just that when it came down to Sanders versus Gainwell and some of the talks going into last season, um, I definitely wanted Miles Sanders to be the number one guy here. And there were some rumors that, oh, maybe Gainwell will, you know, take more of, you know, 
uh, Miles Sanders carries. And, and some would even say maybe he should have started over Sanders, which was complete nonsense. Um, but, you know, I think Gainwell came on really good last year. And I think he were always a good running back. Definitely is a good uh, player for sure. Um, I still don't think he's a number one back. I don't think he'll ever be a number one back. But um, I like his versatility. I like that he can catch the ball at backfield. I think he's a, a much better runner than a lot of people think. I think he's um, got – I think he does have – I always said this. I think he's got better vision, and he hits the hole better than Sanders did. Um, I did – I definitely think he had that attribute advantage over Sanders. But I think everything else Sanders had an advantage of. Um, he's just a better running back. Um, but Gainwell um, – has put some size on. I mean, that's what I want to talk about. And I saw uh, saw a recent um, press conference with him, and I saw some recent clips from his, uh, you know, workouts here in, in uh, training camp. And he's put on some muscle. So he's um, he obviously felt that he needs to bulk up a little bit. Hopefully, he didn't lose much quickness and speed because I think that's obviously part of his game. But but he was always kind of more a physical runner than, than you would think for a guy his size. And he obviously put some more. He definitely looks appears to me that he put on some more size uh, this year. Nobody's asked him about that. Like during the press conference, nobody asked him about his. What I feel is like he just looks like he put on some muscle. Um, he looks bigger, and uh, but he's focused. I like the things that he said. Um, you know, he's not looking to be the number one back in this offense. I think he just knows his role. I'm sure, like any running back, he wants to have more carries. Um, you know, I'm not going to fault him for that. I, I, you want you want that in a running back, right? And uh, and the fact that he plays in really key situations, like he was the red zone back last year, which always bothered me as a Sanders fan because I'm like, you know, give Sanders the freaking ball. But the Eagles trusted him more in the red zone, inside the red zone, I guess, for their offense to function. Um, and uh, so that's good because those are critical key times. And so the Eagles obviously have always had a lot of trust in Gainwell. And he's only going to expand on that going into this year with, not, with Miles not being here. I'd expect Gainwell to definitely get more playing time increased, even though there's a couple of the running backs um, like Penny and Swift uh, who are going to share in the carries as well. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, how the Eagles manage this running back situation is going to be interesting. What I do like and that I'm hearing coming out of training camp this year, and I really hope that they stick with it, is that they do seem to be running more screen passes and practicing the screens because the Eagles have always been a good screen team, you know, even since uh, even the Andy Reid days, you know, they've always been a good screen team. So if, and then that like disappeared in Sirianni's offense, I don't know if, I mean, I can't, I don't know if they've even run one screen. Maybe they have, but I, I know they run those stupid bubble screen wide receiver, you know, out to the wide receiver, they get tackled for two yard loss. They haven't been able to execute that play in years. Um, I guess they, they feel they have, like, Debo Samuel on this team, and they don't. But uh, I'd much rather them just throw that play in the trash and run some actual screens to running back because I think, number one, you got a great offensive line who knows how to run that play and execute it. And, uh, and secondly, you got the backs that can catch really well out of the backfield in Swift and Gainwell. Uh, I'm not so sure about Penny, but at least you got – Three, because Scott could do the same thing. He's another good receiver out of the backfield. So three out of your four running backs are really good catching the ball. I hope, I really hope 
they utilize that because I feel that that would really take this offense to a different level. Because um, they're already going to have a good defense, and he can throw that wrinkle in there, which screens to these to these uh, you know running backs. The only thing is, like with Jalen, he likes to run himself, um, and so I'd much rather him be running screen plays than taking off on his own. So even though the Eagles are successful with him doing that, but again, there's two reasons for that, right? You don't want him to continue to increase putting himself in harm's way, himself in harm's way by taking off of the ball, when he can easily dump it off to uh, one of his running backs on the screen. So I'm really, really hopeful that the Eagles are going to plan on using screen passes and incorporating that into the offense. Uh, all right, so the last thing as I go through all of my uh, talking points for today's program uh, by the way, this is like episode 139, I think. I know I was off last episode by one. It's either 130, I think it's 139. Uh, so we're approaching the 150 mark here pretty soon. And thank you all for tuning in for that. I appreciate it. All right, so last thing I want to talk about is the, um, oh, a couple things. I got two things. Two more talking points as I'm trying to read my chicken scratch is uh, <laughs> what I want to talk about. So, Stoughton, we got a chance to talk to him. I love Stoughton, uh, offensive line coach. I mean, this guy is probably the most key coach to this team outside of Sariani. Um, the Eagles are so fortunate to have him as their offensive line coordinator. And I love the guy. I love his intensity. He's obviously a great, great coach. And I feel so fortunate to have him on his team. And um, they asked him this week about – I probably should have had a sound bite, really, but um, uh, sorry, I don't have that prepared. But what he said was they asked him uh, – or he just – yeah, I think they asked him about the fourth and one, you know, and if he's got any other sort of uh, tricks up his sleeve for the fourth down and one. And he basically said um, no, that they really don't. Or he didn't really – I shouldn't say that. He didn't acknowledge or get into that so much. Really, what bottom line is what he said was, let's see him stop us first, which I loved hearing that because, you know, basically he was answering the question, like, why would he change anything if they can't stop us now? You know, and what I'm talking about, of course, is the, you know, when they had the four-on-one formations and they ran it. Now, to me, and I talked about this during the season last year, I think they run that play way too often. So I understand the genesis of that question because I feel that the Eagles do need to put some more wrinkles into that. And they did it once in the playoffs, I think, in the Giants game. Yeah, it was against the Giants early in the first quarter. They actually went for it on fourth and one, ended up doing a little swing pass out to Gainwell, who got like 12 yards on a play. Maybe it wasn't 12 yards, but he got the first down and, and then some. Maybe it was seven, eight yards, something like that. But it was a cool little uh, twist to what typically was a quarterback sneak that nobody could stop. And I do think that, so we know that they have that wrinkle in there already. And it'd be nice if they couldn't throw a couple other wrinkles in there. Like maybe they do a quick out to the tight end, like, you know, like Goddard, who might just have like a corner on him. Or even if the corner was on him, you know, he would just run him over and get a yard or two or break it for more. Things like that. Um, but either way, I love this answer where let him stop us first. Because I think they were like 95%, 92% effective on 4th and 1 last year. Um, 
mainly because of that fourth and short, fourth and one. They even did it on fourth and two last year and got the first down. I mean, you can't – the play is fun to watch. But to me, and the reason why I don't like it being run so often is because the chances of you hurting your defensive you – know, your, sorry, your offensive linemen who are always going one-on-one with the guy in front of them in a quick tussle for yardage, and everyone's falling on top of each other. And then you have your now $260 million quarterback running sneaks with a bunch of people piling on top of him. And I always point to the Mahomes play a couple years ago. You remember he uh, had a serious knee injury. I mean, he actually came back from it far earlier than most people thought. But he dislocated his knee on a quarterback sneak on the goal line. That you may remember from a couple years ago. So, same as that play where he just took the ball and tried to push it up the middle and run it in. So that's why I don't like seeing that play run nearly as much as the as Eagles love to run it. So I'd love to see them incorporate some other little twists and turns and off of that play. Um, but I love Stalin's answer. Let him stop us first. Love that guy. Okay, fan carnival. Here's my thoughts on a fan carnival. And I know I've probably brought this up in the past, in the past episode, but it's been a while. The fan carnival, to me, and again, for those of you who don't know, I'm not from Philadelphia. I'm in Connecticut. And uh, I used to look forward. I used to schedule a week off for a week to go down and watch the Eagles in uh, training camp. I did it every year. Usually it was about the you know one of those weeks in mid-August. Every year. And I would travel to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Lehigh University, and watch the Eagles for a few days, be on the field with the Eagles, and a bunch of tons of fans for their training camp. And I had a blast and looked so forward to it every single year. It was a one of the most fun experiences as an Eagle fan, especially being outside of Philadelphia, to experience. I absolutely loved it. And it was a big part of my, like I said, I planned vacations to go down there. And I'd meet up with my brother sometimes. I think one year I went by myself. And most of the time I was hopeful that my brother could meet, meet, meet up with me down there. Um, and uh, we'd... we'd we just had a blast. We would stand on the field, you know, a few, you know, 20 yards from where they were practicing on the field. And you get to meet the players afterwards and they'd sign autographs right there. And then they even had special autograph sessions where you could buy a ticket and insure yourself an autograph with uh, the Eagles players. And there was obviously, you know, food and, and it was, they, they made a really, it was a really big deal. It was awesome. Had so much fun. That, to me, was a great experience for as a fan, to feel closer to the team and um, and what they did when they moved it from Lehigh to – and they, actually, let's back up before I, before I get into the actual move. And then what they also would do at some times was actually their old fan carnivals. So there was training camp, and then they used to still have a fan carnival all the way back to the vet days. 
and they would allow the fans to go on the field. Now, I don't know if you could really watch practice, but they actually had a fan carnival where they just would let people, fans come in, you could walk on the field, and the players would be available. They have their own booths where you can get your picture taken with them, uh, and some of them would just be, some players would just be walking around so you can catch up with them without actually getting like a ticket to go you know, see them in a, in a booth or something. Uh, they'd be walking them uh, amongst the amongst the fans uh, at the carnival, and you could just you know say a quick hello. They they play like fool's ball with you, so the, most of those you had to I think you know buy a ticket for or something so you actually play you know games against the Eagles uh, players. Uh, I met Andy Reid. I mean, because he was just walking around in the field. You know, I walked up to Andy Reid and he signed the football. Um, uh, Brian Westbrook, the year that he was drafted. I uh, was standing right next to him. I didn't even realize he was an Eagles player. He, you know, obviously didn't have their helmets on. They had their jerseys on, but of course, everyone else is wearing jerseys that they, you know, so it's hard to distinguish between a player and, uh, and a, and a uh, fan sometimes. And I remember just like turning around. I was, I don't know, somewhere amongst a bunch of people, and there was Brian Westbrook standing right next to me. Uh, and uh, so that was that was such a great experience. I mean, I met Don McNabb his rookie year. Uh, I had my picture taken with him. Brian Dawkins. I uh, got to meet Weapon X. That was the first time I met him. Uh, I remember walking up to Dawkins, and as I was, as I was waiting, you know, it was our turn to go in there. I had my brother, who is now my brother-in-law, and my sister, and um, and my brother were there when we all had our pictures taken with Dawkins. And um, I remember walking off, walking up to Dawkins. This is when he wasn't like Dawkins yet. He was, it was like his second or third year, and he was kind of just coming into his own. But I was a fan favorite of Dawkins right from the beginning. And uh, so I remember walking up to him, and I just said his name, like, Brian Dawkins. I said it just like that. And, uh, you know, shook his hand. And That was one of, I think I met Dawkins maybe two other times after that at autograph sessions um, where I've also been able to meet him. Uh, but anyway, the bottom line is that was a true fan carnival. And I don't go to these carnivals now at the link i did go to first year i gave it a try even though i was disappointed so disappointed that they decided to you know move it from lehigh to the novacare complex and that there would not be any more um any more where you could just show up and watch a practice that was gone immediately and the only thing that the eagles said they would do was have a fan carnival and so i'm like all right let's go check it out again for me it's not in my backyard i live in connecticut so it's a you know three and a half four hour drive depending on traffic for me to go so keep that in perspective as i as i talk about this fan carnival you know it's a little different for me than someone who lives in you know in jersey or philadelphia so i went down wanted to check it out anyway see what it's all about and you're not allowed in the field unless you got, like, I don't know how these, these people, some people must, you know, whether it's uh, youth groups or whatever, you really can't, they don't let you on the field unless you got connections. And uh, you sit up in the stands and you watch them practice. No interactions with the players. You got Dave Spadaro, you know, sort of emceeing the event. Um, boring. Boring. The only thing that's cool about it is being around Eagle fans. Really, that's about it for me. 
you don't, you know, obviously you're not close to the players. You're up in the stands. Now, it was lower level. You know, it's good seats for a game. But when you're used to being on the field 20 yards, 10 yards, meet and greet with these players during practice, and now you're up in the stands far removed from the field, field level, forget it. Those great days of Lehigh, those great fan experiences of Lehigh, over. That trip to the fan carnival, I use that word in quotes, over. I remember driving home saying, I'm never going back to this again. Waste of my time. Waste of time. Now, for me, it is a, a lot of time. Four hours down. Sometimes six hours drive back because I usually get stuck in the GW in New York. So for me, when I say waste of time, it's a waste of time. They have ripped away the, quote, fan carnival experience. And it's just not the same. Now, I was surprised today when I had the fan carnival to hear that there was like 50,000, they're putting the number out there, 50,000 fans. And I think it's great. Listen, I'm not going to knock anybody that goes. Not at all. It's, um, it's just not for me anymore. And, again, I'm in a different situation because I live so far away from the carnival. If I lived in Philly, would I go? If I lived nearby, like say I was an hour away, would I go? Maybe. Maybe. And again, the main thrill for me would be to actually just be amongst other Eagle fans, you know. But the experiences that I had, um, the engagements I had with Eagles players and all that, that really, truly made it a wonderful experience back at Lehigh that I went for seven or eight years in a row, that I planned vacations time around. It's all gone. And it's been gone for a long, <clears throat> excuse me, for a long time now. And um, it makes me sad every preseason because it always just crosses my mind. Man, remember those days when I used to go down to Lehigh and be on the field with the Eagles? It's all been stripped away. And it sucks. To me, the bottom line is it sucks. And then, like I said, I did, I have gone to the first, quote, fan carnival at the link, and it was a big bore fest for me. And maybe it's because I, because of what I was coming from and what I was used to experiencing. That's the main reason. For those other Eagle fans that are much younger, um, that have never experienced Lehigh, and this could be a great thing for them. And like I said, I don't, I'm not putting any, um, I'm not trying to say that anyone who goes, they're wasting their time. I'm not, I hope they have a great time. Uh, and like I said, if I was, if I lived in the Philly area, would I go? Maybe, maybe I would. I don't think I go every year, but there might be some years where I just say, you know what, let's, let the, let's go. But I definitely want to be circling the calendar and planning vacation time to go down there. Definitely not, even if I was living in the area. That I can tell you. So the experience, unfortunately, is just not anywhere near where it used to be. But they had like fifty grand, 50,000 people there. Maybe they have added some things um, since I, I went to that first fan carnival at the link. Maybe they're doing some things new that they didn't do before. But the bottom line is you're still not allowed on the field. Um, like I said, unless you got connections. 
um, you're sitting in stands and you're watching a practice. And they, again, they don't even practice. Like when I was at camp, this is the other thing. When I was at training camp under Andy, you know, when Andy Reid was there, there was live hitting, you know, for two practices a day. So there was a morning practice for like two hours. And then they went in, did their thing, and you could wait for lunch and go out some, go lunch somewhere, which is what we did, and come back. And there'd be another two-hour practice session in the afternoon. And they're in pads and hitting, and they're running plays, and it was like big time, you know. Not what they do now. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even tackle each other. So that's the other thing. That's no longer there. Now, that's not the Eagles. That's the NFL who, you know, made those – um, decisions. So, even if it was at Lehigh, it wouldn't be as good. That that is that is a point that I'll make. It would not be as good because there's no tackling and all that. There used to be used to be able to see that, um, but it would still be a better experience, no doubt. But it but even if it was at Lehigh, because there are so many rules about tackling now, um, so they basically just go for their motions. It still wouldn't be as good. But it would still be leaps and bounds better than going to the link to see the fan carnival. So, if you guys have uh, experienced the Eagles fan carnival and or um, back at Lehigh, I'd love to hear from you uh, and hear what your thoughts are. Do you agree with me? Do you act? Do you think that the fan carnival is better now than it was at Lehigh or the experience? Um, I'd be very interested in hearing if you feel that's the case. I would, I would think that most <laughs> would not say that, but who knows? And, um, yeah, so if you got some thoughts, make sure you send them to me, P-E-T-W-G-P at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And uh, that's going to do it for today's uh, episode of Philadelphia Eagles Talk with Jeff. As always, thank you for tuning in. Greatly appreciate it. Make sure you like Follow, subscribe, tell all your Eagle fan friends about this awesome podcast. Build up Eagles Talk with Jeff. And make sure you come back next time. We'll talk again soon. We've got more Build Up Eagles news. This is where you're going to find it. This is where you want to be. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you all later. And as always, fly, Eagles, fly.